2: Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Trump indicted and the lone true surprise is the six unindicted co-conspirators. Because for once, Donald Trump is not alone on the stage of infamy, And it may yet prove that the Trump six are as important to this case as anything else because they can only be unindicted because the special prosecutor is holding out hope, holding out an offer that he can make them into witnesses by deferring, indicting them and by implicitly threatening to indict them. Plus, we all think we can figure out with certainty who at least the first five of them are. And each now has the sword of Damocles hanging over his or her head. And I will run down the best information available here as to their identities hours after the indictment. I'll do that in a moment. First, as for Trump... He is in the worst position he has been on any of his indictment days because, flatly, the narrative presented in this document by Jack Smith in the 45-page, four-count indictment really offers him only one defense. Abject stupidity. Despite having lost, it begins, the defendant was determined to remain in power, So for more than two months following election day on November 3, 2020, the defendant spread lies that there had been outcome determinative fraud in the election and that he had actually won. These claims were false and the defendant knew that they were false, but the defendant repeated and widely disseminated them anyway to make his knowingly false claims appear legitimate, create an intense national atmosphere of mistrust and anger, and erode public faith in the administration of the election. Note well those words. Lies, claims, false, knowingly false, erode public faith. Those words, and many like them, then appear throughout this document as if they were characters in a novel. The word knowingly appears several dozen times. Smith has indicted Trump not merely for trying to overthrow the 2020 election, not merely for trying to stop the peaceful transfer of power, not merely to try to savage American democracy, but of doing all that while he knew every moment of every day that he was lying as he did so. Again and again, prosecutors quote Trump advisors, lawyers, political appointees, counselors, as telling him he lost. And importantly, beyond belief. At least once, Jack Smith quotes Trump acknowledging it, acknowledging he lost, acknowledging on January 3rd that Joe Biden would be president on January 20th, and then immediately after acknowledging it, going back to trying to stop it from happening, trying to lie about it, trying to run a coup to make it impossible. Paragraph 83, quote, on the evening of January 3rd, the defendant met for a briefing on an overseas national security issue with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and other senior national security advisors. The chairman briefed the defendant on the issue, which had previously arisen in December, as well as possible ways the defendant could handle it. When the chairman and another advisor recommended that the defendant take no action because Inauguration Day was only 17 days away and any course of action could trigger something unhelpful, the defendant calmly agreed, stating, yeah, you're right, it's too late for us, we're going to give that to the next guy. But Trump did not give that to the next guy. Paragraph 84... Quote, the defendant moved immediately from this national security briefing to the meeting that the acting attorney general had requested earlier that day. The defendant expressed frustration with the acting attorney general for failing to do anything to overturn the election results. And the group discussed co-conspirator four's plans to investigate purported election fraud and to send his proposed letter to state officials, a copy of which was provided to the defendant during the meeting. That happened right after the acknowledgement he had lost. There are only two explanations anyone could offer for that kind of behavior. To acknowledge you have lost the election and are leaving office in one meeting and then go to a second meeting immediately thereafter— over how to stay in office either you are stupid to the point of mental incompetence or you are engaged in a conspiracy to knowingly defraud the people of the United States of America by any and all means available to you and you cannot plead stupid one more quote only because if you wanted somebody to just read this aloud that's what AI is for I guess There are two evidentiary surprises in this. One is that one Trump advisor above all others repeatedly told him he had no case. There was no fraud. There was no way. CNN's sources have identified this one advisor as Jason Miller and more importantly, evidently gleaned from the notes that Mike Pence turned over to the special counsel's office. January 1st, 2021, Trump calls Pence, berates Pence for opposing the charade in which Pence would have claimed his ceremonial role during the electoral vote count was in fact decisive. And Pence told Trump there was no such constitutional authority for any vice president. And Trump replied to Pence, quote, you're too honest, unquote. The remorseless dishonesty of Donald Trump's entire life on this earth was summarized in that one quotation. And if Pence were to testify that he heard him say that, or God forbid that there's a recording of that, it could convict Trump by itself. Quote, you're too honest. Most disturbing of all about that and not mentioned in the indictment, not even truly implied, not mentioned in the coverage of this. Trump is still doing this, all of it, daily, hourly. He did it just before the indictment was revealed. He did it in response to the indictment being revealed. He'll do it again tomorrow. Now to our game the unindicted co-conspirators game and who a combination of crowdsourcing and conventional wisdom believes these six people are. And by the way, if even just one or two of them flip, the others go to jail and Trump with them. Keith's lead pipe cinch. Number one is described as, quote, an attorney who was willing to spread knowingly false claims and pursue strategies that the defendant's 2020 re-election campaign attorneys would not. Oh, Mr. Cotter, Mr. Cotter, I know, I know. That's Rudy. I believe even the crowdsource vote on that is 100% Rudy. Smith mentioned everything here but the dripping hair dye. Number two, An attorney who devised and attempted to implement a strategy to leverage the vice president's ceremonial role overseeing the certification proceeding to obstruct the certification. Golly, who would that be? Who could have been behind the Eastman plan described right there? Oh, John Eastman. Again, 100 percent probability. Number three, quote, an attorney whose unfounded claims of election fraud the defendant privately acknowledged to others sounded, quote, crazy. No, duh. That would be Sidney Powell, and no adjective has ever fit any other human better. Number four, quote, a Justice Department official who attempted to use the Justice Department to open sham election crime investigation. what oh, Je- Jeffrey Clark. My God, this is way easier than Wordle. But now it gets tricky. Number five, quote, an attorney who assisted in a plan to submit fraudulent slates of presidential electors. I was stuck. The group Mind identified this as Kenneth Chasebrough, the lawyer who worked with Eastman, and I'm certain that's right now. Then the Stumper, number six, the deep throat of this conspiracy, a political consultant who helped implement a plan to submit fraudulent slates of presidential electors to obstruct the certification proceeding. I would offer here that if this person is not identified shortly, there will be books written about his or her identity because there are only about 11 billion possibilities. And many of them are juicy names. Steve Bannon, Peter Navarro, Boris Epstein, and the crowd favorite, though not by any means the logical or the betting favorite, Ginny Thomas. We are offered a clue I wonder if Jack Smith has in fact created this game to keep everybody reading the whole 45 pages. We have a reference to co-conspirator number six in paragraph 119. Quote, co-conspirator six attempted to confirm phone numbers for six United States senators whom the defendant had directed co-conspirator one to call and attempt to enlist in further delaying the certification. So who was Rudy's assistant on January 6th? Who was helping him get the phone numbers on January 6th? The likeliest bet is not one of the marquee names, sadly. It has been suggested, and it probably is, the attorney Michael Roman, who has been cooperating with Jack Smith's office. Some bookkeeping. The four charges are the ones we have discussed here previously. 18 U.S. Code 371, Conspiracy to Defraud the United States. 18 U.S. Code 1512K, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. 18 U.S. Code 1512C2, obstruction of and attempt to obstruct an official proceeding. And 18 U.S. Code 241, conspiracy against rights. That is the now famous post-Civil War statute used against the Ku Klux Klan when it sought to keep the freed slaves from voting in the South. And it is applied here to address Trump's efforts to throw out legitimate votes in many states by using the Elector's scheme and other schemes. Trump is to appear in court on Thursday at 4 p.m., it is reported, in the courtroom of Judge Mokshila Opadyai. The case itself has been assigned to Judge Tanya Chutkin, an Obama appointee who has not only overseen dozens of January 6th trials already, but has, in fact, and this is statistically proven, given out the stiffest sentences. And yes, the news of the indictment was barely out when a Trump spokesperson compared his prosecution to things from Nazi Germany. Because, as I noted before, underscoring all of this indictment and all of the efforts to bring this, the worst American criminal of all time, to justice is the sobering reality that all that is alleged here, all that is contended against Donald John Trump, all of it, still doing it i will have an all-new edition at the usual time tuesday night wednesday morning with more and more thorough analysis i hope what follows after the break is from tuesday's podcast and as i always say if you want to hit stop now because you've already heard it i won't take it personally this is countdown Foreshadowing. Indictment foreshadowing. Quote, this is really bad news for Biden, Trump wrote last night, though not really, no. Quote, which means I will probably be indicted again soon, unquote. Do you like that foreshadowing? Or how about this foreshadowing? Fonnie Willis sends an email to county commissioners asking them to make sure they keep themselves and their staff safe. And orange security barriers have gone up around the Fulton County Courthouse. And yesterday was the first of 10 days before August 18th when she ordered 70% of her staff to work remotely. I don't know. What could all that possibly mean? Willis gave a TV interview, quote, the work is accomplished. We've been working for two and a half years. We're ready to go, unquote. I wish the district attorney would not be so bloody evasive. The judge the same judge, Robert McBurney, like they only have the one in all of Georgia. McBurney tossed the last Trump attempt to toss the evidence yesterday and to disqualify the D.A. yesterday. And the untossed D.A. also says her schedule is her schedule. Two grand juries. Neither meets on Wednesday. And in the same interview, quote, I don't know what Jack Smith is doing and Jack Smith doesn't know what I'm doing. In all honesty, if Jack Smith was standing next to me, I'm not sure I would know who he was. My guess is he probably can't pronounce my name correctly, unquote. We can skip for a moment the reality that it is essential that the two of them do know what the other is doing, if only after they announce what they are doing, because simultaneous trials not only have their own perils and pitfalls, but twin trials carry the danger that Georgia might assert one fact or one date or one timeline and be contradicted by what the Department of Justice is asserting, which could be fatal for both cases. We now go back to the DOJ, and there is still that January 6th target letter from Jack Smith hanging like the sword of Damocles over Trump's head, and the fact that if Smith sticks to a timeline that matches the documents case, he is indicting today, or Thursday at the latest. And the fact that his Trump January 6th grand jury was expected to convene today, and while Trump's latest self-pitying post which would be number 3,447,237. Collect the whole series. This latest post is not necessarily time-sensitive. It sure is funny if he already knew from his attorneys that the indictments are coming tomorrow or Thursday, and instead of just revealing it like he did last time, he's milking it this way in order to further feed the fascist storyline that the entire prosecution of Trump is being made up as they go along and being made up in just a matter of hours for one reason only, namely, as Trump also posted last night, in order to kill the news cycle, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. I mean, what does Trump think his supporters are? Idiots? Yes, he thinks they're idiots. And that's largely because they're idiots. You doubtless saw the interior numbers on the latest New York Times GOP poll which were far more important than the exterior ones about how much he's leading DeSantis by because the interior number shows 91% of Republicans who rely on Fox do not think Trump committed any serious crimes. 91%. And 85% say Republicans must stand behind Trump regardless. And 83% say Trump was merely exercising his right to contest his 2020 loss. And it's just too bad. Nobody was ever out there 20, 25 years ago saying Fox News and Rupert Murdoch would end democracy and kill us all. And the uninfected portions of American media and the public had to do everything we could to kill Fox News first. Oh, yeah, right. I did all that and got dismissed as the O'Reilly of the left. And I was only doing it for ratings. And my tendency to say I told you so only in many, many, many more words is perhaps my least attractive personality trait, especially went up to half the nation has literally succumbed to this mass hysteria in which no fact or reality can interrupt their loyalty to an authoritarian anti-democracy movement. And they believe that those of us who will not simply get out of their imposition of their own hallucination, we must somehow be removed from the equation. And this is unfolding on the eve of the election that will decide who is president during what is probably mankind's last window to regain the reigns of the uncontrolled climate catastrophe, and the fascists literally have a thoroughly vetted and organized plan to roll back all environmental controls and actually burn more fossil fuels as part of their Project 2025. So under the circumstances, I'll try to keep the I told you so's to a minimum. Also, I will try not to either try to solve, nor to utterly succumb to the climate emergency during a podcast and instead heed Marcus Aurelius and his wise words and concentrate on doing that which is in front of us. And that would be right now, this guy, D. Oliviera and the postponement of his actual indictment yesterday because he doesn't have a Florida lawyer, just like the last guy, and another week's delay to the Trump documents trial schedule, Eileen... De Oliveira does have a Trump PAC attorney named John Irving. And thus, Carlos, the boss, wants the server deleted. De Oliveira lives in, as my childhood friend Will Bunch of the Philly Inquirer noted, he lives in the world according to Trump. This latest of Trump's countless victims, you effed up, you trusted us, might scare the hell out of Trump because if he flips... The way the IT manager, Yusil Tavares, flipped, Trump can't beat the obstruction of justice rap. Cannot. But legal minds think the fact that he's already been indicted makes him a less likely flippy because how does that look when he testifies for the prosecution and the defense says, aren't you simply saying what the special counsel told you to say because he indicted you and then he dropped the charges so you're not going to jail? There was one other minor news blip last night. CNN reported that a new court filing from Jack Smith's office confirms that it has obtained new security video that pertains to the effort to destroy evidence. And that is all it reveals. We don't know what it is, just that they got it after the last set of indictments. Could be video of De Oliveira and Walt Nauta carrying bankers boxes on their backs. Could be video of the Ivana burial. We don't know. Of much more interest, the federal election campaign filings were due yesterday and the ethics outfit crew analyzed the one submitted by the Trump leadership PAC, which is sarcastically named Save America. It finds the PAC made three payments to political allies, which is what a leadership pack of any stripe is supposed to do. Three. It made just a few more payments to Trump's lawyers. 169 of them. The money figure is unclear. Could be $20 million, could be $40 million. as originally reported. The fact that Save America is now Save Trump's ass with lawyers, that is not unclear. Three payments to political allies, 169 of them to Trump's lawyers. When news broke that Trump's campaign is actually short enough on cash— that that PAC asked for $60 million back from another pro-Trump pack. I half joked here that if we can't put Trump in jail before the 2024 election, maybe Jack Smith and Fonnie Willis and Alvin Bragg can bill him into the ground. Those lawyer hours can mount up quickly. Even if other people are paying for $20 million, $40 million, $875, It does hurt you because it means that those same other people are not paying that amount of money into your campaign. What if Trump or his campaign or both really, really, really had money troubles? This was posited seriously on Twitter yesterday, and as I say that, I am thinking you have become everything you hate. You are this close to saying that you read something on Facebook from Trump's cousin's nephew's next door neighbor's lion tamer. But there is no mistaking that, as devoted as Trump has been to never letting a dollar go unspent as long as it is your dollar. The legal bills are mounting exponentially now, and having your PAC ask for your money back from the other PACs cannot be an ordinary day at the campaign. God knows Trump has gone bankrupt before. And his life has been structured exactly to project wealth, whether or not he actually has any. And everybody I actually have known in 40 years of knowing Trump, who knows him better, has always insisted that he guarded the tax returns so jealously because they would prove he was nowhere close to being a billionaire and perhaps only barely into nine figures. This on Twitter was the thesis that what Trump is, is cash poor, that he could be telling the truth about his net worth without revealing that, as the writer put it, his businesses are worth a lot of money, but they don't make a lot of money. Some don't make any money at all. And that is 100% provably true. The writer was a man named Brian Jacobson, a self-announced veteran of 25 years in the tech sector and a cloud expert and also a Second Amendment advocate. So I ain't just echoing an opinion from our side of the cognitive gap here. It is this Jacobson's contention that, quote, truth social is killing Donald Trump's finances and may sink his presidential bid. I'm not sure about the second part of that, but the first part may really be true. The idea, he posits, was to launch that social media site, grab all the Twitter users angry at Jack Dorsey's successors, and then take it public and let stockholders fund it via the merger with the Digital World Acquisition Company, the merger that just fell through, the merger which government agencies are now querying. Instead, Elon Musk bought Twitter turned it into what it has become, the playpen of the clods. Truth Social got half the users it expected or less. The merger collapsed. And instead of getting a check for up to half a billion dollars, Trump winds up still owning 90 percent of Truth Social himself and paying all of its operating expenses. And what are they? 50 million? 30 million? Who knows how much? It is Mr. Jacobson's conclusion that this means Trump suddenly has a little less than the 500 million Trump-owned dollars with which to self-finance his campaign or his legal defense or De Olivera's legal defense or all of the above. No cash flow, just bills, bills, bills from lawyers about Jack Smith and lawyers about Fonnie Willis and lawyers about Alvin Bragg and lawyers about Truth Social and this merger that went belly up. Jacobson then jumps to the rather startling conclusion, which is where I seem to be getting off the train here, that Trump will either have to get a huge amount of money from this legal defense fund he is just starting, or he will be faced with folding truth social or bowing out of the presidential race. And I think that's farcical. Trump is not smart enough to do either. And he's congenitally incapable of admitting defeat either in social media business or in a presidential candidacy that, oh, by the way, is literally necessary to keep his own ass out of jail. But what is absolutely logical and legit is that the truth social gambit may seriously hamstring Trump's ability to keep money flowing into his legal defenses and into his campaign simultaneously. And then my guess would be, no, he's not going to drop out. He would simply try to campaign with less money than this extraordinary attempt to extricate himself from jail and put all the rest of us in it in his place will need. Plus, ultimately, even if the theory is crap, the bottom line is Jacobson's theory is absolutely delightful and it's worth wallowing in for a moment because yeah this is true and i hadn't thought about this before donald trump's social media ambitions and his personal finances and to some degree fatal or trivial have been seriously damaged by elon musk let them fight Also of interest here, did I mention this is the anniversary of the podcast? A year ago today, and I said it would never last. We will do minimal celebrations. Meantime, if you are a Republican member of Congress and something messy involving you unfolds at a public event, and your office then finds it unavoidably necessary several days later to issue a statement that refers to the police getting involved, and in that statement, your office also finds it unavoidably necessary to insist that the congressman, quote, was not drinking, guess what? Literally or metaphorically, you, sir, have a drinking problem. That's next. This is Countdown. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Postscripts to the news, some headlines, some updates, some snarks, some predictions, dateline White Deer, Texas. His office now admits that Congressman Ronnie Jackson, the disgraced former White House physician and withdrawn Trump candidate to run the VA, was, quote, briefly detained by law enforcement at a rodeo outside Amarillo, Texas, Saturday night. The office insists Jackson had been summoned to help a 15-year-old girl having some sort of medical emergency, and somehow it was so noisy that the cops grabbed him. Then comes this remarkable statement. Jackson was sitting, the office says, quote, in the stands during the entire rodeo in full view of the assembled crowd and was not drinking, unquote. All you need to know about Ronnie Jackson is contained in the reality that his office needed to put out a statement saying he was not drinking as the police detained him, as he put his hands on a 15-year-old girl at a rodeo. Also, if Ronnie Jackson has not been drinking, watch out, the Texas economy is about to collapse. Nancy Faust Dateline San Francisco, the giant glowing X sign, has been taken off the roof of Twitter headquarters. Looks like it was an inside job rather than the city stepping in. If only Musk himself could be removed so easily. Dateline Colorado Springs Space Command will remain in Colorado. The Biden administration overturning a January 2021 Trump decision to move it to Alabama. The good news is this really pisses off Senator Tommy Tuberville the bad news is this lets Lauren Boebert claim she made it happen. And Dateline Washington, this will stun you. After the FEC filings yesterday, it turns out Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s presidential super PAC raised $9,800,000 through the end of June, $5 million of which, more than 50%, was from one donor Timothy Mellon, 81-year-old heir to the banking fortune and longtime Trump donor. So RFK Jr. is running as a Democrat, financed by a Republican, when in fact he is actually an asshole. Still ahead on the first anniversary edition of Countdown, we will go back to episode one. Because you can't do that yourself. It's not like episode one is still online anywhere. Oh, right, it is. What the hell? First, time for the daily roundup of miscreants, morons, and the Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze, Musk again. He is threatening the Bill O'Reilly record, which has stood since 2005. Musk is a free speech absolutist, as you know, and what that means is... He's a free hate speech absolutist. Musk is now threatening to sue the Center for Countering Digital Hate, the nonprofit that tracks hate speech online for, quote, a series of troubling and baseless claims that appear calculated to harm Twitter generally and its digital advertising business specifically, unquote. First of all, please, it's X. It's not called Twitter. You'd think Musk would know that. Secondly, Musk has spent the entirety of his time owning that site, trying to find out who is destroying its reputation. We need to start a GoFundMe to buy Elon a mirror. I think he'll show up in a mirror. The runner-up, Ron DeSantis. Remember him? Mr. Wokey Finokey Swamp? Remember his fanboy magazine editor and Tucker Carlson darling Pedro Gonzalez? And then Breitbart produced a series of anti Semitic text messages by Pedro Gonzalez, and other DeSantis supporters, including his unofficial magazine, The Florida Standard, rallied to support Gonzalez. It turned out there were even more Gonzalez anti Semitic text messages published by the right wing Washington Free Beacon, in which Gonzalez laments that Nancy Pelosi, quote, can't be criticized because she is Jewish. Yeah, this is uh, one of those not that smart anti-Semites waiting for reaction from DeSantis if he can find his mouth with both hands. But our winner, Congressman Derek Van Orden of Wisconsin. You heard about this, right? Last week, a group of 16 and 17 year old Senate pages on their last night in the Capitol took photos of the place and some apparently got down on the floor to grab images of the magnificent ceiling with their iPhones, which is when Van Orden, in whose office the same night passers-by photographed a significant amount of alcohol in bottles, Van Orden approached the group and started swearing at the 16 and 17-year-old kids. What the F are you all doing? Get the F out of here. You are defiling the space, you pieces of S. Who the F are you? They told him, I don't give an F who you are, get out. Condemned by Democratic leaders and Republican leaders and Senate leaders and House leaders, this Van Orden schmuck doubled down. He not only insisted the pages were treating the Capitol, quote, like a frat house common room, he told a Milwaukee paper that they were, quote, terribly disrespectful to lay on the grave of a soldier that died fighting for freedom yeah uh congressman and i use the term loosely even in this day and age there are no graves in the u.s Capitol. you're thinking of the tomb of the unknown soldier van orden or you're thinking of jack daniels or they taught it at excelsior college where you got your degree online But this, of course, gets worse. Turns out that while Van Orden was running for that house seat, he went into a Wisconsin library and he went nuts over a display of books on LGBTQ topics during Pride Month. He started shoving the books and he lit into what he assumed, I guess, was a library staffer, but was, guess what? A 17-year-old girl, another teenager, who was a library page. Another page! So this Van Orden is not only a historical ignoramus who thinks somebody is buried under the floor of the Capitol, but he's a 53-year-old man who has a habit of picking on teenage girls. And there's an even bigger issue. Van Orden continues to believe he is in the right here because the pages were quote-unquote defiling the Capitol. Van Orden was in Washington on January 6th, attended the Trump rally, and then went to the Capitol. And he thinks somebody else defiled it? Derek, the only thing buried at the Capitol is your empties, Van Orden. Today's worst person in the world! Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field.